What's up people, welcome back to Rebranding Safety Podcast on YouTube. This week we're talking all about work at height with a little bit of a different perspective. We've got Dan with us. Dan's got an extensive offshore experience and he's going to really bring that kind of offshore perspective whilst I'm going to bring that onshore perspective. Let's get into the podcast. Health and safety is almost a victim of its own success. We in a pressured regime of health and safety regulations. A huge fire engulfs a tower block in Children being forced to wear goggles to play conkers at school. Worst oil field disaster, 164 dead. Rebranding safety, the modern health and safety podcast, crushing the stereotype. And your host, James McPherson. We've got our first ever overseas guest, so Daniel is coming on. He's going to um, talk with me about working at height. So welcome to the podcast, Daniel. Yeah, thanks very much, mate. Uh, glad to be here with you. Cool. Why don't you just take us through your kind of journey? I, I mean, I've checked you out on LinkedIn. It looks like a very interesting journey to your career in health and safety. So why don't you why don't you take us on a little a little trip? Yeah, thanks. Um, well, I've been. Uh, in industry for about 28 years, but uh, only the last 10s uh, health and safety. Um, I was on uh, large cruise ships for a long time, and um, they they sort of injected occupational safety um, while I was there. We, we sort of mainly focused on marine safety. We didn't have that occupational safety side of things, and it was quite refreshing to, to see it from that aspect. So I got involved with it there, and then uh, headhunted for a large uh, oil and gas company in the Middle East. Um, and they moved me uh, into uh, safety and compliance, and I've been doing that for the last sort of seven years out here. Um, I'm currently working for a division um, that supports upstream and downstream operations in uh, in the Gulf, and uh, we have about 180 vessels, uh, supply vessels, um, crew boats and that, so we basically support them with crew uh, working platforms for the work they need to do, like offshore maintenance, and uh, my job is just to make sure that all our eggs are in a basket in terms of, of safety and compliance. So it's it's a massive operation. Um, we we run our boats and uh, ISM and uh, also corporate safety management system. So it's it's busy, a lot to do, but uh, a lot of fun and quite rewarding. And you get to travel the world, I assume. You're in Saudi Arabia now. Yeah, um, sort of mainly in the Gulf region, um, so so not not too much travelling anymore. But <laughs> that's what it is, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Have you always been a keen traveller, or? Yeah, I love it, mate. Absolutely love it. Uh, getting around and experiencing different cultures, meeting different people. You know, I think that's what it's all about. Yeah, it's a beautiful world. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think you know I've had kind of like an awesome uh, insight into working at height, like. It, it must be a massively different game, like working at height on ships and, and boats and offshore and stuff like that. Obviously, you know, one thing we look for on, on the land is like stable ground, but I suppose you never really get that on the sea. Yeah, you, you, you don't. And there's a lot of things you've got to, um, you, you've got to look at, you know, uh, particularly when I was on the big ships, uh, we used to do a lot of work over the side. You, you've got to keep those ships clean um, and you can't, there's no sort of, at the hazard because you've got guys moving from into sky cons into bosun's chairs and you know you, you've got to look at things like um, specialized uh, personal fall arrest systems with inbuilt harnesses and uh, inflatable life jackets but you know it, it it doesn't everything is not always the same every risk is different when the guy's climbing from the deck into a sky con he's he's got to be you know, hooked in a different way. Um, when he's when he's in the Skycon itself, he, you know, you've got to look at things like he, if he's hooked into that and it breaks and falls into the water, he's going to go down with it. So, I mean, you've really, you've got to be sort of on your game and you, you've got to look at these dynamic risks because it's changing all the time. Do you, do you, would you do more more work on maybe like competency of the of the person then dispose like you, you mentioned like dynamic risks um so like dynamic risk assessment the employees being able to like assess on on a penny i suppose is for lack of a better phrase yeah that's that's particularly important for us um i would say more so now where most of our operation is remote 
Um, obviously, a lot of the infrastructure that we have is is pretty old from the 50s and 60s and wasn't really built with uh, full protection in, in mind. So in terms, if we look at the hierarchy of controls, you know, we can't, we're sort of missing those first three steps. We can't uh, eliminate, we can't substitute, we, we can't really engineer. Um, we can build specialized scaffolding, but at the end of the day, we're looking at the last two um, really admin. Um, so you're looking at the competency of your workers, of course, and uh, we, we try and send our workers offshore trained up already. Um, a key aspect of our training is, is hazard recognition. Um, so we have a very, very uh, intensive two-day program just on hazard recognition. And then obviously the specialized uh, fall protection and working at heights training before they even get out there. Um, so that's, it's really crucial to us. Mm. Hazard recognition, that sounds, that sounds interesting. Why don't you take me through like a whistle-stop tour of, of what, what your interpretation of that is? So basically, what what we want the guy um, who's who's going into the uh, going into offshore, um, we we want him to be at a certain level that he could recognise the basic hazards around him, um, because we we've really got to try and inject safety into operations. Um, we've got thousands of employees working offshore. Um, we can't have uh, armies of safety monitors and safety professionals monitoring all, them all the time. We, we really have to rely on, on operations and those guys in the front line to look after their own safety. Um, and, and one of the key things is, you know, can you recognize basic hazards? Um, and uh, obviously, you know, we got guys from all over the world and different, different levels of education and training, and, but we need to get them to a certain standard of, of being able to recognize these hazards. So we put them through quite an intensive two-day program. Um, they've got an exam in that to pass as well. Uh, they've got to show their competency before we before we even let them go there. And and that's then before they'll go into any sort of specialized uh, fall protection and, and working at heights training as well. So you're kind of trying to, you're trying to hit it from the offset before they even get offshore. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you've you've really got to try and and, and uh, just in, inject that um, that awareness of of uh, what's going to hurt you um, into them, so that they don't. You know, they're not just standing back, relying on the the safety officer or the foreman or you know, each guy's got to be responsible because the uh, the conditions out there they can change quite rapidly. You know, it's not like being on a building site. You've got moving vessels. It's very dynamic. Um, these offshore structures are, are covered in um, salt, you know, they're very slippery, there's oil. Um, so there's a, you know, there's a lot more, there's a lot more to it than, than you would get on land um, or in other traditional sort of construction sites. Do you think, do you think complete complacency is, is kind of less of an issue offshore? Because I mean, on land, I, I think complacency is probably one of the biggest things that we struggle with you know, I mean, just the, just the other day, I was driving past a construction site and stuck in traffic and I could just see this young lad climbing up the outside of a scaffold. And I think it's that kind of, that you're just not aware of the risk because I suppose on land, it's easier for us to design and engineer out and eliminate as many risks as possible. The people are now complacent to it. And like you said earlier, is that's very difficult to do offshore and on ships. Yeah, I mean, you know, that it's it's a difficult it's a difficult topic that you know some people they hate using that word complacency um but you know it does it it can creep in um and uh i, I think you've got to you know i know it's cliched when we say this but we've re you know you've really got to in inject that culture into your organization and um we we have a good culture here um we mm -hmm. we have to with the operation so spread out and, and so big and so dynamic um, and, and so busy all the time. Um, if, it, if it's not there in these far out locations, 80, 90 miles offshore, um, you know, in 40 knot winds and dust storms and that, um, and, and complacency sets in, we, we're going to have, we're going to have problems. We're going to have, you know, fatalities and people falling and, you know, we've got the water to then worry about as well. So, uh, it, you know, we really have to make sure that the culture is good and that that complacency doesn't creep in. It's, it just it baffles me that, like, you know, we just 
still can't really seem to get working at height. I mean, falls from height still in 2017 to 18, there was still the the biggest cause of fatalities. I, I mean, I suppose the argument could be made that the the likelihood of dying from from falling from height compared to a lot of other injuries is kind of ingrained in the work maybe but surely a, a fall isn't ingrained in working at height is it you know you you would expect to work at height without falling yeah and you know i don't know why every every year we look at these stats and it's the same over you know working at heights highest cause of fatalities you know slips trips and falls and and i i, I don't know as a as a collective industry, why, you know, the figures are telling us one thing. So, so what, what are we doing to target it? You know, we just, we get the same, the same thing over and over. And, and yet, I don't know, we just, we don't seem to, as, as, you know, safety professor, I don't, I don't, I don't know how we don't seem to move forward and, and really target it and, and, and look at why and, and it really attack these behaviors before they become an issue. Yeah, I, I think that is an is an awesome point. You know, what? Why can we not sort this out? I had a very interesting conversation with my, a good friend of mine. He's um, he's a builder and he works a lot on like house building and stuff. And I said to him yeah. about, I saw this um, this young lad climbing up the outside of scaffolding. And I said, does that happen a lot, or is it just by chance that I that I drove past and he was like, no, it happens all the time. And and it just blew my mind to think we're still struggling with this and. And I think there's there's never one there's no, it's not a one trick pony there's never like a magic wand you can wave it's always a collection of loads of things but one thing that we had a good chat about was like just taking scaffolding around the house for example always designing one single entrance uh, access and egress points so if you're on one far corner of the of the house and it's yeah. lunch, lunchtime for example they have to walk all the way around the scaffold in an exit and i was like well if they put an exit at each corner do you think that would resolve it and he was like well it would it would definitely take like two-thirds of it away wouldn't it and and i, it, I just thought is it simple things like that that we're missing yeah i mean and that and that's how we've you know we've got to think and, and i think we can only we can only get that kind of um those kind of results or, the, or those kind of ideas if if we have that dialogue with the workers you know you see the guy climbing down the outside and you know you've got to address him straight away and and I think and, and this is why I you know I love your your podcast because you, you know you're trying to you, you're making health and safety a bit more hip a bit more fun um, yeah. and and as professionals we've we've got to be like that you know we've got to be able to go up to that guy instead of going all right, mate, you know, here's a risk assessment. Why'd you climb down the outside? And rather, you know, talk to him on a level and, and find out why, you know, why he, he did that behavior. You know, he's, he said, oh, listen, mate, what, you know, why'd you come down the outside like that? He's, you know, you know, it's dangerous. And, oh, you know, I just want to go and have my lunch quickly. Okay, well, fair enough. You know, do you think if we put in a ladder here, um, would, would that be a good idea? Would that, and he, you know, and then and have that dialogue with him and, because it's it's those guys, the operators, the builders, the scaffolders, the painters, whatever, they they're doing it, and we've got to find out from them, you know, how how to make it better, and get yeah. their input. Yeah, definitely, definitely, and and I think you know here as you as you quite rightly said, you're preaching to the choir here, and and I, but I think you're right. I think it's 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 that employee involvement that's that a lot of businesses just seem. Uh, maybe maybe reluctance not the right the right word, but it seems that they're not very eager to ha have that employee involvement, and and I just think it's the the most important thing that we're missing. I mean, it, it it's on all the guidance, it's in the laws, it's everywhere. You know that that you've got to involve your employees, but yet we're still not doing it. Yeah, and it's uh, I I don't know why, but I mean I. I do try. Um, I have long discussions uh, um, with with the teams when they're out there, particularly about PPE and and how it is that last line of defence. And you know, I've just got to basically say to the guys, you know, if you if you're not going to wear your PPE or you're not going to have a hundred percent tie off, um, you know, you, the only person you're putting in danger is yourself. And you know, when you go, you go. That's it. It's it's done. You know, nobody's going to think twice about you and you know, you've really got to try and sort of hit that home to them that, 
you know that that PPE is it's it's your final it's your final chance. You know you're only doing yourself in. In theory, and let's assume we have, but we as a business have done everything we can to reduce this risk, and and this PPE is a last line of defence kind of thing, and and that's yeah. it. Yeah. That's a good point. And I think the other side of it is it, it's kind of we've got to kind of target those those times when it is high risk, like you were saying. You know, you're down the side of a ship, cleaning the ship, that's pretty pretty high risk. Um, yeah. Yeah, and if you compare that to some of the stuff I see around, you know, people having like four page working at height risk assessments for using step ladders to turn electrics off. And it's like, are we are we really having a four page risk assessment for that? What What is the need for that? And I think it's that kind of going over the top. It just exacerbates the problem that we're already in. Yeah, I, I, and, uh, I just I, I don't like that approach at all. I mean, I. A nice little toolbox talk beforehand um, with a little check card when you just chat to the guys and say, okay, guys, you know, what what sort of risks are we looking at? Um, you know, you, you sometimes get this, uh, you'll get a, a, a sort of statement from management, you know, oh, well, we need a risk assessment. I need you to do a risk assessment for this, you know. And my standard answer is, yeah, sure, I'll write you a risk assessment. You know, I'll, I'll download one off the net for you. And, uh, and there you go. But I'm not going to be doing the job, so. Um, yeah, there is no point. I can give you a 10-page risk assessment if you want. Um, I think what's a lot more value is uh, doing a job safety analysis with the operator, with the worker, or a little toolbox talk, and, and getting his feedback, marking it down on a form, and, and, and going from there, like you say, rather than a, a silly four-page risk assessment that nobody's going to even read. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What what's the point? And, and I think you know it does more damage than it does good. Uh, it, it it exacerbates that kind of negative attitude of of towards health and safety or health and safety's gone mad. And then and what that does is, in my opinion, what that does is it makes them disregard it when it is important. So when they have got that risk assessment and that risk assessment is is the right thing to do for that for that specific task or hazard or whatever. Um, they don't read it because the last risk assessment they read was really over the top yeah, um, and it's just it just creates this kind of this kind of culture that we're in um and i mean if you what what, what baffles me that i mean if you if you read the hsc guidance it to, in my opinion it never really uh, encourages you to go over the top i always found that that it is that it is quite reasonable yeah, I agree with you. It is it is very reasonable and um, and and quite um, practical as well. Um, we 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 tend to get both sides of the spectrum here. We get a lot of the OSHA stuff from the US. <laughs> I find their their um, their approach is, is quite different. But yeah, in terms of the HSE stuff out the UK, um, yeah, they don't really ask for a lot, and and it seems to be it seems to be sort of on par. It just some organizations and some companies they just tend to take it a little bit too far because they think that they're covering themselves from a from a management standpoint um whereas as you say it's it's actually counterintuitive yeah definitely and, and i think i'm i think a lot of businesses they kind of tie themselves up and 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 they kind of make it worse for themselves like we've just said but i mean I think if we look at the law from well the the kind of UK law from from point of view that it, it it says what it always says it just says that you you've got to assess the risk and manage the risk but I think I think where a lot of businesses really get their knickers in a twist is where it defines work at height and it says work in any place including a place at or below ground level and I think that's when people read that one line and they read that they need a risk assessment and they produce that risk assessment when somebody's just using like an elephant's foot stall or something like that. And, yeah. and it's just like, oh, you know, it, it says assess the risk. And then they're like, what they don't do, in my opinion, what they don't do is go back to the Health and Safety at Work Act to look, or the Management Health and Safety at Work Act, and look at what um, uh, risk assessment is. You know, it doesn't yes, have yes. to be written down uh, other than significant findings. Most of us are going to employ more than five people or the people that we're talking about anyway. So it has to be written down, but still it's only the significant findings. So using an elephant's foot or, or some steps that you're going on the step ladders for like two minutes, um, it's, it doesn't need a risk assessment. No, it, it doesn't. And um, 
what I like about the HSC approach is that they don't specify a height. Um, in the from the OSHA side, they specify six feet, um, you know, 1.8 meters. And you know, I've been on construction sites where guys have got like scaffolds at 1.79 meters, and they'll tell you, oh, this scaffold doesn't need to be tagged. It's it's under the, you know, it's under the 1.8 requirement. Mm. And, and and I'm like, dude, that's not. That's not the intention, you know. If you fall from 1.81 or 1.79, you're still going to do the same damage, just yeah. because you, you you're building it like this, so you don't have to, you know, so you can build it quickly, and so they just, you know, no idea of the risk. That's that's really interesting, actually, and I, I've obviously never even looked at, at the kind of American side of things, but that that's really interesting because I I've always thought the fact that we don't um, define height and and we and we are very vague in it it leads to that misconception or misinterpretation sorry um but actually that's really interesting that they they push it that far to be like you know point one underneath and just be like well, it's not applicable yeah it's 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 so funny <laughs> yeah it's strange and you know? i mean and actually from a from a i do quite a lot of work around fire at the moment and um that pretty much dominates my time but if we look at it from like a building regs point of view, it, it will kind of say that, that it's the same here because I'm, I was reviewing a property a while ago and um, that we were potentially building and um, essentially a, a, a wheelchair user had been designed a flat on the second floor, which yeah. is fine. Um, but they asked the question, okay, have we, have we give them an evacuation lift? Um, the answer was no. Um, because we don't need it because the height of the building is not within building regs to require a, fire, a firefighting or evacuation lift. Right, okay, fair point. But you've designed a wheelchair user in this flat. Yeah, yeah. but it's stay put. Yeah, but if the fire is in his flat, he needs to evacuate. And yeah. you just saw this architect's kind of face go white as, he, as a realisation set in of what he's actually just done. And, yeah. uh, you know, luckily we caught it and, and the outset and it's been resolved and it's fine. And you could argue that's just a, that's just an oversight. Ar architects have got a lot to consider. But it's a fact that because the regulations defined a height and, and specifically defined um, a process, they were kind of process blind. Yeah. And, and I think that kind of matches what you were saying about the American um, guidance and, reg and regulations. Yeah. And I mean, if we look at... You, you know, you can, what I see sometimes as well is people, they always consider this working at height, you know, when we go up and uh, the, the amount of times I've seen manhole covers left open or um, trenches, you know, um, without barricades and that people just, they don't, they don't seem to comprehend this falling down um, from level ground as well as, as being an issue. Um, mm -hmm. And and you see a lot of times these these hazards are overlooked because um, they just you know they just fall from height um, you know you can also you also fall down into something as well yeah um, and it's something to consider yeah that's a great point that is a great point I just find you, you know if you walk down the streets now at home like it's just there's just if anyone is working on the ground whatsoever, there's just massive barriers everywhere. And then one day you'll just walk past some old boy working in um, working in the sewer access, and and there's no protection around it whatsoever. And it, it just seems we can't seem to find like an even middle ground. It's like all or nothing. Yeah, <laughs> it's just crazy. I, I, I just it's so frustrating that the point that like we we come back, we keep coming back to like the guidance, but. I mean, it's simple just takes us through the kind of simple, and you touched on it earlier when you mentioned like the hierarchy of risk, you know, we've got to try and work our way down that, avoid work at height where possible and kind of minimise the distance and the, the amount of time you're up there and do as much as you can from the ground and all stuff like that. It's, it's yeah, simple yeah. stuff, isn't it? Absolutely. And if you go through, if you go through those basics, I think even, even if you're not an expert in that, but you just, you, you work through those steps um, you, you're essentially doing your own little risk assessment there, informal little risk assessment, and, and you know, be, you know, they say okay, it's common sense, but eventually, yeah, it, it does. It's um, there's a nice little flow, and you, you can get to it, and you can make sure that your guys are protected. Mm, definitely.
Definitely. Do you have um do you have the same kind of um regulations around like the inspections and insurance inspections of, of say like hoist uh, not hoist sorry um like lanyards for working at height and fall arrest systems yeah like personal fall arrest systems so we specify um ours are all um ours are all to uh, us standards and i mean the gear is is pretty good um we've obviously everything's got uh y lanyards or double leg uh, lanyards so we've got you know it's always 100 percent tie off um, every one of our harnesses is also fitted with a um, uh, trauma um, suspension trauma strop as well. I don't know if you've seen those. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of them. I've yeah, never so, used them, but, but uh, yeah. Um, yeah, they're pretty good. So you know, you just roll it out, and then you can stand in it, and it it um, it, it takes you off. So that, that's a hundred percent requirement that they're on every single um, every single uh, setup. Um, and those are inspected, uh, they're normally stored um, in like a sort of a dry um, indoor air-conditioned area, hung up, um, they have to be hung up a certain way. And then they're inspected every month, obviously before use by the operator or the, or the worker um, after use as well. Um, and then we've got the ones with the integrated with sort of inflatable uh, life jackets. That's pretty good gear as well. Um, they've got another inspection regime as well, obviously, because they've got CO2. Um, canisters and things like that um, but it's yeah it's imperative we do these inspections because they do um, they do break down quite quickly in in the offshore um, environment with the corrosion and um, you know obviously we do a lot of blasting of offshore structures and um, painting and so, you know you're getting paint on them and thinners and um, so they, they get hammered around a bit so it's important that we have a really stringent sort of inspection process mm. And I suppose that that brings you back again to like culture is that employees have got to see the importance of that and understand the importance of that. So it all just keeps coming back around to culture. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's the guy's got to know that's his bit of gear, and you know that's that's what's going to save him at the end of the day. And and you know even those, it's it, we got to impress on them those those personal fall arrest systems. I mean, they're not going to they're not going to stop you falling. Um, you know, they're, they're only going to help you when you fall. Um, so you've already gone over the side. So you really want to be making sure <laughs> that uh, it's it's all working well because you, you don't want it to not work well. It could really do you an injury. Mm. So I suppose that's an interesting point. It, like, it sounds like you use fall arrest systems pretty much all the time um, for, for your kind of working on libraries. I suppose I'll, I'll, so if we were using, I don't know, like say like a cherry picker on land, always always try to try to use a um, a distance restricting lanyard first, so to to stop people being able to reach the edge of um, of the the cherry picker or the basket um, anchored to hopefully the center of that. Yeah, so, abs absolutely. We've uh, I mean we've got we've got those as well. We've got self retracting lanyards. It just um, it depends on the application because uh, we've got shore facilities here as well. So we've got we've got a lot of construction work that goes on in, in buildings. So we, you know, we'll have uh, four four prevention lanyards, that, um, you know, on horizontal lines that'll stop you from getting to the edge. Um, you'll use that in combination with a safety monitor, probably with a whistle. So you know he'll give a, a blast. So it's a double sort of protection. He'll give a blast if he sees you getting too close to the edge. But the you've got that four. The, the, that for prevention as well um so yeah those are good um we've got the lcds the ladder climbing devices um i don't know if you've seen those those are pretty good as well no um, no if you have do you want to take us through what an lcd is because i think yeah, most so, of listeners will be thinking it's just a nice tv <laughs> well we'd, we've also got um one thing i've got into as well which is a whole new world is uh, these these high towers um We've got these tower erectors and, and guys that go up there. So they've got sort of these, um, like a ladder climbing device. So it's a little lanyard that it's fixed into the ladder, um, attaches onto his harness. Um, basically, it's under tension. So it's with him all the way. Um, obviously, we, we want him to focus on his three points of contact all the time. But, you know, when you, you know, if he does slip or does go, that'll it, it'll just basically stop him um, straight away kind of thing. It's got a little bit of give, but... It, it won't let him go too far. Um, so, that, you know, that's a good sort of engineering kind of um, uh, solution. 
Um, and then, you know, you obviously with those, you'll have the, the ladder cages as well, um, which are added back up. Yeah, definitely. Would you, are those kind of like the ladder climbing devices? Are they are they on fixed ladders, or can you can you have them on portable ladders as well? No, on fixed ladders. They're just on fixed ladders. Yeah, but I mean, I think I, I, I don't know. I'm not I'm not great on scaffolding. I I know enough to sort of get me by and do a, a good inspection, but I I don't know if they use them in scaffolding. If they've got sort of a big fixed scaffold, if if that's um, not, not really my area, but I suppose it's something they could look at. Mm, yeah, I like um, I like innovation and things like that. It's that's what what we're desperate for, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you never with safety. You know, you've all you you never had a position where you're just safe and you can say, okay, guys, that's it. We're good. We can stop. You've always got to be you've got to be looking and and trying to get ahead and you know look for new ideas because it's always changing. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So I suppose we, we kind of touched on it again. And um, I'm just sitting there thinking like, I suppose in, in your kind of industry, you inherently work with, with quite highly competent people. Would that be, would that be correct? Yeah, I, I, um, yeah, you, we, well, we try to, obviously we, we try to get people competent and, you know, I think you had a discussion a couple of weeks ago. Competency, you know, what is competency? And it's it's built on uh, it's built on a couple of things. So like your skills, your knowledge, your experience, your training, and this all goes into you know, are you competent um, or, or not? Um, but also we like to we like to try and look at a, a level above that. And this is something I think where the industry can really um, can really learn from in terms of of mastery when you you, t you talk about a person mastering a skill um you know you get a, you get like let's give an example analogy like a footballer yeah um mm -hmm. you've got a guy who plays third division football yeah he's got the skills he's got the knowledge he knows the rules he's got the experience that is training but you know he's, he's not playing for man united eh? he's not he's not a master he's not a master footballer um mm -hmm. And, and those, so we can have, we can have a lot of competent people and that's good, but we need to have those people that are masters in their fields and master those skills. And because those are the guys that are going to help you when it all goes wrong. And, and we tend to, in the industry, when it does go wrong, we look at the guy that's messed up and we, we talk about his competent, you know, was he competent? And we look at the management systems that led to him not having the competence and to and and that ended up in that incident or, or accident. But all those times in industry when these guys do amazing things on the front line in operations, these outstanding operators, these um, outstanding engineers that saved the day, we never focus in on their behaviors and their actions and 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 learn from that and and in turn and and build up the whole workforce and say okay well we've got competent guys but let's get them up to another level let's have them be masters of their skill sets and their uh disciplines and um and i think that's some something we could look at yeah i like that i like that and then you know what you're only you're only kind of you're only kind of introducing an additional kind of if they're if they're masters in their own uh industry or their own area within that business so say i don't know say for example they were a, a machine operator bring it back to kind of my world if they were masters in that machine you know when we go and do a risk assessment and they're involved you know i, I don't not to not to big myself up but to use your kind of terminology i, I would be the master of safety and then you would probably have an engineer who's the master of the actual the actual machine and the components and that that creates like an awesome collection of people that know this process inside and out and that creates only what can be an amazing risk assessment surely yeah absolutely yeah. and and when you involve the operators who are going to be um doing that task with those people you know those experts um they're going to learn and their competence levels are going to be be brought up so we don't you know, we don't just, okay, he, he, he's competent, he's gone through this process, industry says he's competent. Okay, great. 
But now as an organization, as, uh, you know, our duty of care um, and, uh, you know, our due diligence, we're going to bring him up to another level by making sure he understudies a guy who has mastery of these skills and, and is involved in creating these risk assessments, these job safety analysis um, that he's going to, you know, he's going to be affecting every single day, day in, day out. When that health and safety expert's gone and that uh, foreman that's an expert's not going to be there, we've given this guy a little bit more. Mm. Mm. And I suppose you would kind of, would, would you kind of like tier the competencies to so say somebody who the likelihood for work, let's stick with working at height, the likelihood for them, one person, say on, on a ship or on land or wherever, um, was to only got maybe use a ladder every now and then, um, they would maybe have just a reasonable level of competence and awareness or an understanding of you know, safe use of a ladder, for example, whereas somebody who's likely to be using harnesses and fall arrest systems and be working on MEWPs or scaffolding would probably have a much higher level of competence. Would you, would you say that's applicable offshore as well? Or? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I suppose it's that it's that kind of bit that we, that we miss maybe, I think, on land. I think, well, maybe we don't miss it, but like, I think, if, if you've got like kind of like safe working loads and you know resistance and stuff of and and um, kind of testing of anchorage points and things like that that you would need for um, ball arrest systems and things like that and you don't need that stuff for ladders you know you don't get a ladder really that has quite clearly a safe working load written on the side of it or anything like that no and it, but it's that kind of tiered approach that I think we need um, and yeah, being aware but- of that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, there are things that you can have the guy look, you know, we we look at a ladder, it's a really simple device, but you know, we can just before when we do the little toolbox talk with him as as a supervisor with the worker, you know, we just we look at those basic things on the ladder, um, you know, in terms of the, the, the grip on the bottom, you know, is everything, um, all the rungs okay, there's nothing sticking out, um, you know, it's, it's not got paint all over it. Um, uh, all the uh, the non the non-slip surfaces are um, they're all intact and and you know once you've looked at the the equipment and spoken to him about you know angles and not going up to the you know, you know staying bit the third third step from the top is is, is maximum point and um, a buddy system two guys working together um, then you know you can talk to him about his his actual approach on the ladder and his three points of contact and and how he ascends and descends. Yeah. Yeah, it's that, it's that kind of thing we're, we're missing out. And I, and I say that, but like, you know, I, I was painting my um, spare bedroom a few weeks back and, and fell off my ladder. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I, I'm kind of being a bit hypocritical seeing here, but it's in that moment that I kind of say to myself, like, right, you, if you were at work now, you would have done that differently. You wouldn't have, you wouldn't have, um, lent on that ladder you would have stopped moved it or you would have told somebody else that they shouldn't be leading on it so why did you just do it and it's that kind of it's that complacency of risk in my in my house I felt quite competent to do the the work I was needing to do and I felt very safe because I was in my house and completely disregarded those kind of little simple checks And and I think what they're kind of trying to bring it round to is that kind of mindfulness like being mindful of what you are doing or what i was doing in that second you know oh hang on a minute i'm on a ladder and i'm leaning over if i was mindful of that i would have stopped it got down moved the ladder over i think it's that kind of it's also being lazy as well yeah and i don't know why we do it as humans sometimes these atrous behaviors like in my safety talks i i always use that analogy you know when you've when you've got an elevator and and the doors are closing and what do we do we like we put our hand in between the doors um <laughs> you know instead of just standing back and and waiting one minute for it to come back we like we stick our hand in between these two metal doors to you know and those sensors they normally sort of i don't know thigh height or whatever so <laughs> you, you never you never get it and then the things close and i i, I just don't know why you know why we do that as humans though these and, and we've got to really, in terms of our culture, we've got to look at those those atrous behaviours, find out why we do them and, and just like not do them. 
Yeah, I suppose it's that we've we've engineered safety out so well that you know if you look at it, the likelihood of of you know you put your hand in in between the doors of a lift, the likelihood of that failing and then continuing to crush your your arm, in theory, should be extremely low. But yeah. I can I can understand what you're saying. You know, if you were to go back 20, 30, 40 years, um, probably much longer than that actually, maybe like 50, 60 years. And say, in in the future, I will put my hand in front of the, these two automatically closing doors to to let somebody else on the lift or to try and get on the lift in time. Um, they would laugh you out of the out of the door. And I think I think if you think of that kind of analogy, and I don't know if you if you have been on there any time recently, but if you go to like London Underground, um, yeah. the tube system there in rush hour, people jumping onto onto trains as the doors are closing it just blows my mind like yeah terrible you know, it just blows my mind and and you know i've seen people that have get their bags stuck in the door i've seen people get their heads stuck in the door and i mean they they, they hit the head and then they stop and the doors open that's fine it doesn't really hurt but it, it's just a fundamental like kind of flaw there isn't there that you've just run into a train with a closing door because you didn't want to wait for the next one and there is yeah, nine times out of ten there is always a train like two minutes later yeah it's 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 bizarre and you want to you know you want to sort of sit down and talk to people and just say what well, why you know that one day that door's going to close and it's not going to stop mm. and you, you you're going to be a goner for what two minutes <laughs> mm. I suppose it's that kind of like slowing life down, isn't it? Just kind of take a step back, slow down a little bit, and just look at what you're doing. Absolutely, mate. And that is that is the that is a key statement, and and that is so true, especially with with safety, and especially with working at heights. You know, the job's going to get done. Just step back, take a breath, talk about it. Let's see, and let's just go through it nice and easy. You know, the job will get done. Yeah, it's a great point. And if we kind of bring it back to me on that stepladder, you know, and, and the way I landed on my foot, I'm surprised that I didn't snap my ankle. And, you know, you know, after that, I look at it and I, and I think, you know, I could have snapped my ankle there and that would have really hurt. And also, I'm quite proud to say I've never broke a bone and I would have had to have said I broke a bone now. And it's just, it just, if I'd have just slowed down, all I needed to do was just slow down a little bit. There was no rush to what I was doing. There was no deadline. There was no pressure. Um, just slow down, take a step back and look. Uh, would I have moved the ladder? I don't know. I can't really answer that question. It's impossible. But I'd like to think I would have if I'd have slowed down. Yeah, yeah it's an excellent point. Mm. And I think I was talking to... Um, a colleague of mine about this and he said um the kind of timelines and pressures to do work inherently put a lot of pressure on on the workers to to inherently cut corners and and i said well what if we just as a business decided that we were going to add 10 percent onto every single timeline so if we said it we we're going to take you know so many weeks we would take that number add 10 percent onto it and that's a couple more weeks okay great what's that for well just to be safe just to slow people down, just to calm down. Um, would that make a difference? Or would we just get so used to adding 10% that then 10 years down the line, we would then need to add 20%? I think um, you would, I, I think the key here is, is you know, you, you hear a lot of companies, they, they, they'll say things like that, or, you know, you always hear the safety first and safety before operations. Um, whereas we, we hear, we, we're talking about integrating them more safety with operations um and and so that it's all it's all built in together so you don't have to you don't have to look at them separately and go okay we want to slow down because we want to be safe um so we'll, we'll build this in to be safe no we'll do it all together mm. and we'll do it safely and efficiently but it's all going to be integrated together safety and operations are going to go hand in hand and i think if if we've got that sort of that, that paradigm, that shift in thinking, where, where safety and operations are, are integrated, um, then then that kind of argument, like you say, yeah, 10%, then becomes 20%, then becomes 30%, then that becomes sort of a moot point or, or becomes void. Yeah, yeah. That's a great point. I, I was reading my book 
was it in that book? I can't remember. It was either in... Uh, I can't remember what the bloody book was. Anyway, that's not the point. The point is um, that was, I read somewhere that basically if you say that safety is first, your your first priority, then then essentially you're you're lying to yourself. And I think I've said this in the podcast before, like you're 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 lying to the business, you're lying to your staff, and you're lying to your customers because safety is not first. Every business's priority is to stay in business. That's the first priority. Um, so should safety be a second priority or third priority? No, I, I think you're, you're bang on. It shouldn't just it shouldn't be anywhere. It should just be ingrained in what you do. It, it should essentially the safety heaven is that people like me and you, our jobs don't exist in theory. We are specialists that are requested for very specialist things to provide specialist advice. But the general safety side of it just just happens. You are just done by doing it inherently in your job kind of thing, if that, if that makes sense. The operations managers would do the risk assessments as a team with their operators and blah, blah, and the engineers and so on. Um, you, you would kind of create a world where safety is just there. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if you follow the, um, do you follow the Safety Differently group on LinkedIn? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I, I love all of that um and, and they sort of really looking at that now with um, that Sydney Decker and they did a big study out in Oz with one of the supermarket groups and they they took like three different, um, I think they took three different uh, locations and they, um, they decoupled safety um, from operations uh, in sort of th- three um, different percentages, you know, it was like, 25% decoupled, 50% decoupled, and then 75% decoupled. Obviously, they got um, they got uh, permission from the regulator, and they found that the, <laughs> the the supermarket where they decoupled it the most, you know, where where safety the safety guys had stood back, and the operation staff were 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 looking at their safety. They were the ones who were getting the best sort of um, their performance measures, their KPIs, and were, were the best. So, yeah. It, operations are doing it all the all the time you know they mm. understand the work obviously they and and they generally doing it safe safely aren't they i mean we don't you know we're, we're not killing people every single day um yeah we have these these incidents of, of course we do um but you know generally we do it safely and we've got to look we've got to look at that look at those behaviors look and and reward them and encourage that and and just embed it in them um, and that's the way to go forward. Yeah, definitely. And and I think like you were saying about like reward there, like I, I was gonna say something else, but then when you said that, I was like, ah, oh, that that is that is spot on. Like it, we spend so much time looking in the past and and being negative as safety professionals, and you know we we never really celebrate the good because the good is expected. Like I was talking about manual handling on on another podcast that's come out in a couple of weeks with. Um, Stephen Melvin and, and we're just talking about like if, if I could go back and, and when I was working in like um, factories and warehouses and stuff like that I would do it so differently like if, if I saw somebody lifting correctly I would just go over and be like nice job mate well done give them a high five or, you know be really extrovert and just be like yes great job um, and then the person I see not lifting correctly the first time I see it I probably wouldn't say anything and then the yeah, second yeah. time I see it, I might go over and just do a little toolbox talk, just privately. Me and that person just say, "Hey, why are you lifting like that?" And then find out that maybe the problem is the process or the way the the environment is settled, or that person's got a bad back anyway, or something like that. But actually, yeah, yeah. if we if we just go around and encourage good behaviour, then do we, we create a positive environment that people just want to be good? Yeah, that, that that's a great point, and. Um... I think we're coming back to that point where we spoke about in, in terms of uh, how we interact with people as safety professionals um, and, and, you know, we want to we want to sort of move forward and, and, and not be, you know, not be that like guy that nobody wants to listen to. And mm-hmm. if we, like you said, that little toolbox talk with that guy, um, you know, you just take him aside and, uh, you, you know, you, you sort of 
if you're a safety professional, he's trained in emotional intelligence. He can he can practice uh, reflective listening. Um, he can he can you know um, display empathy. Um, he he's going to get a lot more um, in that toolbox talk if if he if he applies all of those kind of um, those behaviours um, rather than all right, mate, you know, listen, this is how you need to do it. <laughs> you know, here's your 10 sure. page risk assessment. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? There's some awesome kind of like, I don't want to use the phrase buzzwords because that doesn't really do them justice, but like those kind of couple of key words you mentioned there about like being emotionally intelligent, understanding empathy and things like that. Now we're talking about like the soft skills that the safety professionals are missing and, and there's kind of coaching as opposed to being an advisor. Yeah. And um, that's, that's something, that's something that the industry could look at as well and, and making maybe that part of uh, safety professional tr training or, you know, even with, with operations managers and, and things like that. For sure, for sure. And it's just kind of understanding the, the environment they're in as well, you know, and the challenges that they undergo. You know, we could come along and, and I, I always kind of use my manual handling training as, as, as a trainer um, experience. The first place I had to deliver manual handling training was in a factory where we made bubble wrap that yeah. was inherently as light as a feather. No matter how big these rolls were, they were lifting sheets of plastic with air inside of it. And yeah. you're telling a, a room of men that they've got to lift the, this by bending their knees and and looking at this i just got laughed out of the room <laughs> <laughs> and and it was just that kind of well hang on let's let's not look at this like walking around like a toy soldier and stuff let's be reasonable here what if we just bent our knees ever so slightly and used our arms a little bit more and just worked that kind of kinetic um efficient ergonomic way where we're using everything and and it turns out they ended up coming over and saying, actually, we're just quicker and we just feel better by just slightly bending on it. not bending all the way to the ground, not, um, you know, going OTT, just that slight little bit of a change. But it involved involvement and empathy and and coaching and all of those things and conversations. And, and to a key point, employee involvement. We couldn't have done that yeah, without, yeah. without them. Yeah, and what you said there, that last point, people conversations are, are so critical, mm. um, you know, to for them to take place, the, the more you talk and that, and, and that's how you get those small little victories, you know, So, and, and they come back and, yeah, he's going to bend his knees a little bit and, you know, everybody's going to be a bit safer and a bit more efficient and it's win-win. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I, I just think like when we when we come back to all this stuff and we look at it all, they're all just so basic fundamentals, aren't they? Like use competent people and have conversations and understand what they're doing and understand what you're doing. Maintain equipment. Yeah, you know, these are just simple basics of of just business, surely. Yeah, absolutely. It's absolutely nuts. I was just thinking um, it's worth kind of mentioning with specifically on like working at height. That the HSE guidance does actually quote 30 minutes as like a short duration. So, um, is, is that is that something that that you guys would consider? Like, if you're on 30 minutes is a long time, and I'm probably at sea. Is it's 30 minutes on a ladder is quite a long time. So, would you maybe cut that shorter and to say, you know, actually just working on a ladder for 10 minutes is quite hot, risky at sea? Or yeah, absolutely. And I think each. You just got to look at um, just look at each task uh, as as it is, and um, you know when you've when you've done that toolbox talk and you you've discussed how long it's going to be and the objectives and, and and look at the hazards and the risks and um, you, you know you, you've spoken to each other and you've got the feedback. I don't think you need to be tied into uh, times and and uh, limits like that. I think you, you've got to keep quite dynamic. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose that's a fundamental part of the, the nature of your industry. As like you said earlier, you know the the sea and the weather and everything. The environment can change by the flip of a coin. Yeah, absolutely. And I I, I think one thing we didn't mention was um, a rescue. I don't know if um, it's a good you've point. Had, if you've had much experience with uh, rescue at heights in that or. No, if I'm, I'm, you've probably got a lot more experience than that than me, so you take that. Um, away. Yeah, I mean, there we obviously the you 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 don't want it to happen. So um, 
we, we generally for, for for the bigger jobs in that we will we'll have a um, we'll have a rescue plan in place beforehand um, so we know what we're capable of um, you, you know you don't want to you don't want a guy just hanging there from a suspended scaffold and you, you find that you can't reach him so um, it's, it's critical when we when we go around the the job site because um, we'll always do a job site inspection uh, before uh, a bigger job um, so you'll go around together um, before you issue the permits in that and um, the, these are the kind of things you'll look at you know um, and uh, we, we have we'll have like a, a standard plan um, for for the site and then as because it changes all the time with scaffolding and where you work and how you build it and on these structures and then every every time we do the job site inspection in the morning we'll go around and we'll, we'll We'll look at that rescue again, um, you know, and just work through a checklist um, and, and just see if we can, you know, we can reach these places in that. So would you do that um, just, just in a team just before, is that kind of part of that risk assessment before the task goes out then? Yeah. Um, so, we'll, you know, obviously we'll assess, the, the risk assessment will be done before the job starts. We'll have a... Um, We'll have a toolbox talk with the team. Um, we'll, we'll probably issue. We'll, well, we will issue work permits in that, um, and then prior to issuing the work permit, the uh, permit issuer and receiver they will go around the whole job site. They'll do a job site inspection together, um, and then for working at heights, we'll have a specific um, checklist uh, that they go through, including a rescue checklist as well. Um, and, and we've just got to make sure that we're all covered uh, in terms of where the guys are working and, you know, if, if he goes here, how are we going to get him? Because um, if, you know, if, if it's, if it's, if he's suspended over the water and we've, you know, we've got to look at sort of getting a vessel underneath with a, a man basket up to him, we've, we've got to know that we can do that and we've got to know we can do it um, within the time that that suspension trauma could set in. Mm, that's such really interesting. How how would you kind of deal with that? So from like an emergency point of view, or or maybe not. Well, emergency yes, but also kind of like a high pressure role. So some you know something needs to be done real quick. You know, and you haven't got the time to go through that that permit system. Would would you still kind of go through that, or would that be like a kind of dynamic assessment or something like that? You got to. I mean, you'll do a, a dynamic assessment, and I think it, the the main thing about those emergencies in, is that um, you've, you've got pre-incident plans in place, so it doesn't it doesn't become something you've never seen before. Um, we, we've got another sort of format where um, one of our, our SMS elements will look at all these sort of credible emergency scenarios, and uh, we, we'll rate them in that. And for each one, we'll, we'll have um, we'll have pre-incident plans ready. Um, and obviously, because uh, working at heights is, is such a big risk for us, these are these pre-incident plans are, are pretty well structured and, and thought out. And we bring in some, um, you know, very uh, high up SMEs from from our corporate teams and that to come, come and look at these. These are guys, you know, who are, who are experts in these fields. Um, so we, we've got to make sure that, yeah, there's going to be times where you're going to have to do work quite um, you know, emergency work quite quickly, but you've got you've got to work that into your credible emergency scenarios beforehand, so you at least have some idea. You know, you you don't want to be faced with something completely new um, because you get, you're then going to struggle. Mm. So you do you do a hell of a lot of work before to to really really try and minimise the opportunity of that. That the normal process of the normal kind of critical control points not being able to be carried out. So you're trying to minimise that from the outset. Yeah, absolutely. And then we, we also look at um, business continuity management as well, you know, so you've got that, I, I don't know if you've had experience with those, so if you've got, you know, if you have an incident like BCPs, that. BCPs, yeah. So my, most of my BCP stuff probably, um, the two... So from the NHS, kind of my experience of BCP, probably different, um, kind of would be like, how do we keep a hospital um, going if we lose electricity? How do we deal with like a terrorism attack? How do we deal with a major fire? 
um, uh, things like that. That's that's probably my experience of BCP from how it worked from the NHS mainly. That was probably where the biggest thing, um, the biggest impact of that or the biggest focus of that was. And then in housing, it's, it's quite similar as well. Less, yeah, less terrorism, but more fire. Yeah, I mean, you've got your... You like sort of distinguish between the two. You've got you're going to respond to the emergency, um, but then you know you also want your business operations. That, that sort of graph where it, it dips really far down. You don't want that trough to be so deep. You know your your business continuity sort of kicks in, and you 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 try and get these other processes and operations up and running again. So you can you know you try and make it seamless, um, so it doesn't affect the business as such while you are, are responding to the emergency. Um, so, you know, that's another aspect we look at as well. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Absolutely awesome. I think we could probably sit here all day and talk about this, wouldn't we? But yeah, mate. It's a great, <laughs> safety is a great topic, you know. It's, um, yeah, a lot, lot to talk about. Yeah, I think I had a um, I had a, uh, a call the other day for another podcast that's coming out in a couple of weeks with um, Rachel Butler, who... Um, who works around like construction um but she she's quite famous in the safety world or especially on land anyway i don't know if you know but she was like the youngest chartered iosh um in the uk oh wow oh, sorry the youngest female chartered iosh that's right i always say the wrong way um so so yeah we when we were talking about you know how how do we get you know these young professionals these young people to 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 choose safety as a career it's kind of just trying to get away from that kind of um, persona that we've got because actually when you really start talking about this stuff like you've just you know you've just gone through something that I think as a child I'd be like wow that's really cool you know business continuity on a ship after working at height and emergency planning and rescue plans and and stuff like that that's some really cool shit (laughs) (laughs) absolutely it's just kind of trying to break that barrier and just kind of look at it and and I think you can't really there's probably no other industry that you could have a safety professional it, well it's everywhere isn't it you can't have a safety professional you can have one in in hospitals and housing and construction and then you have them on offshores and ships and everything and it's just it's absolutely everywhere and it, in my opinion it's such an overlooked career that i love it yeah i, I do as well and the fact that we we you know the fact that you and i can just sit and talk about you know, from completely different industries, but we can talk about principles that are essentially the same wherever you go. Um, it's, you know, and we, we could probably talk for another five hours. It's, it's, it's great. Yeah, and that, that, is, that is actually such a great point. Like, the fundamentals are always the same. You know, what if you've got equipment, maintain it. If you're doing something, what's the risk? This is the risk. Manage that risk. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's that, and, and that's it. And, and you know, I, I, on a daily basis, I get emails. You know, what's the law say? It says the same as it says yesterday. Assess the risk, manage the risk, maintain what you got. Yeah. Not yeah. sure of it. That's what it says. Yeah, absolutely. And that, and it's no different than working at height. You know, it, it, the guidance gives you that kind of, you know, short duration, thirty minutes. It does give you those things. Um, it gives you those kind of guidelines to follow, but. We're going to follow this back all the way to the law. What does it say? It says the same thing. Manage the risk. Follow the principles of prevention. Try and avoid it. Try and mitigate it. These are basic, basic stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's um, it's starting to get uh, like a, a quite a boring podcast because you end, I end up just talking about these fundamentals all the time. Same thing. <laughs> Always comes back to culture and assess risk. And you know, how many podcasts can you do on on how to how to assess risk? But it's the same thing over and over again. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. you've you've got to you've you've got to hammer that point home, and you know, come back to what we talk spoke about at the beginning. This this basic. Um, this basic skill of being able to recognize the hazard in our operators and our workers is, is just so fundamental to the business and the operation. And, um, you know, if we can just embed this in the guys before they even get onto the site um, with a really good program, okay, you're going out there and this is what you've got to look out for, guys. This is this is what's going to hurt you. And, you know, if you, if you hurt 
you can't work. And if you can't work, you, you can't get money. And, you know, that's what it boils down to. We, we're there to, to earn cash um, and, and really try and inject that culture and, and, and that ability for them to see the things that are going to cause them danger and be able to to not have those at-risk behaviors. And, and, you know, then your job's done. Yeah, they kind of they kind of self manage themselves, don't they? It's like self safety. Oh, that's yeah. good. I like that. I like that. Yeah, self safety. There we go. There's another um, alliteration for you. A little buzzword. Add a hashtag onto that, eh? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I heard a good one the other day. Um, I was reading um, Andrew Sharman and um, Dame Judith Hackett's book. Um, oh, what's it called? Oh, bloody hell! How to how to get safety just right or something like that. I can't remember, but it's basically what your MDA didn't teach you about, um, about health and safety. And they, they call, there's a good one in there. They say about spazzy safe. And I was like, what is that? And essentially spazzy safe is pretty much what every business I've seen currently operates in where that knee jerk reaction safety. So we've got it massively in fire at the moment, you know, Grenfell happened um, and everyone's essentially shit themselves and, and just gone way over the top they're, you know they're, they're evacuating buildings and you know ripping cladding off and stuff like this and you're like whoa calm down let's look at the fundamental flaws here um and it's the same thing we all in in, in everything we've got these kind of spazzy safe reactions so, and if we look at work in a height this is a great example you know when when they brought these regulations out the construction industry went to its knees in a day because they thought that they're banned ladders yeah yeah to the point where the in their guidance it it, it completely it states in the hse guidance you know take a sensible approach when considering precautions at work there may be some low risk situations where common sense tells you no particular precautions are necessary the law yes, recognizes yes. it there's a common misconception that ladders and step ladders are banned but this is not the case yeah they've, they've literally put it in writing for you like yeah common absolutely sense clear as day it's, it's right there but it's just it's that you know so, so it's on people like us it's on our industry to just keep reiterating that and i always find you know asking those people they come to you oh, can i use a ladder what do you think well, you, <laughs> you're the professional no i'm a i'm a safety professional do you think you can use a ladder you're the professional at your job do you think you can use a ladder and, and they end up doing a risk assessment themselves just by leading the conversation yeah yeah and I find sometimes that's that's much more effective. Yeah, that is, that is effective. Well, Daniel, that was an absolutely awesome conversation. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast and, and, and an awesome kind of insight into into offshore into the offshore world and the complexities of that. And, and I think if, if you'll come back, I think we would definitely have you back on the podcast. Yeah, thanks very much for having me, James. It's, uh, I've, I've really loved to uh, – I just got into them – uh, podcasts again after many years and uh, I got into your one I think the first one I listened to was with uh, Christian Harris the um, the slip guy yeah 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 which is also something I was involved with a few years ago so I, I really sort of enjoyed that but thank you thank you for having me I really love your approach and uh, yeah I'd, I'd love to be back it'd be my pleasure okay guys I hope you enjoyed that thanks for listening I hope that's brought you value if it has brought you value click like and subscribe and if you're on youtube don't forget to click the bell um if you're on itunes don't forget to rate and review this podcast we really really appreciate your feedback and it just helps us improve if you have not shared this podcast yet i'm watching share it get this message out there people peace out safe